0: This is episode 37 of One Page at a Time, Reading Helping to Heal Trauma with licensed child therapist, Jessica Sinarski. In this episode, we talk about Jessica's work with children who have experienced trauma, how she has seen books used for good in their lives and her own books she's written as a tool to help them hi i'm jill and i'm amanda this is one page at a time the podcast that empowers you to strengthen your family through reading we talk about why you should read how you can read and what to read so no matter where you're at with books you'll keep rediscovering how important and fun it is to just read we hope you'll join us on our reading journey one page at a time Today's
1: guest reached out to us, and we are so thrilled that she did. Her name is professionally followed by a string of acronyms that we will need her to clarify for us, LPCMH. (laughs) She loves Mexican food and is not afraid to quit a book if it gets too sad, and we love her already for these important qualities. But more importantly, and more relevant to today, she spends her time making cognitive science accessible to parents and professionals who are helping children heal from traumatic experiences. She's a therapist and a clinical supervisor at an adoption support agency a mom of three, creator of a resource and training platform called Brave Brains, works with schools and child welfare agencies across the U.S. to better incorporate effective trauma-sensitive practices into their work, and, as if this weren't enough on her docket, she also is a picture book author. We'll be talking with her about her books and her practice today. Welcome, Jessica Sinarski.
2: Well, thank you. I'm very excited to
1: be here. We're so excited to have you. So before we get into anything else, I wanted to start with what does... Okay, and I'm going to slow down so that I can get all of these right. L-P-C-M-H stand for...
2: It's kind of annoying as a professional counselor, a licensed professional counselor in different states across the country, everyone has different acronyms. So I live in Delaware and in Delaware, to be a licensed professional counselor of mental health, you get this string of five letters, LPCMH, licensed professional counselor of mental health. It means I'm a therapist, basically. (laughs) And I I have a license to say I'm, you know, not, I don't know what my license says, (laughs) I'm following the (laughs) rules, following the rules of my state to do good work.
1: (laughs) Good. And acronyms prove it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. (laughs) Right. Well, we all could use a little more acronyms in our lives, right? So, and I don't blame. I mean, honestly, I don't blame anyone for using an acronym for trying to shorten that up either. So LPCMH,
2: whatever. Okay. Yeah, it cracks my son up. My my oldest is like, "All right, mom. mom." (laughs) Yep, that's what it is, babe. Thanks."
1: Yeah. So I'm assuming that I'm no expert in this, but obviously you are. So I'm going to be asking you (laughs) you about this. So I'm guessing that there are multiple different kind of areas of mental health that you can focus on. And what kind of focus do you have in your practice?
2: Yeah, so mental health can go a lot of directions. My life experience and work experience has taken me down a path where I work predominantly with people who have experienced pretty significant early life trauma. And um, so I started... My I started working in foster care in the South Bronx and realized that graduate school had not prepared me for the work that I was doing then, right? Like I had gotten this sort of general practitioner spiel of of counseling psychology, but I really needed to learn a lot more to be effective and helpful in what I was doing. And so that led me down a path of learning a lot about attachment and trauma and the brain and the various paths to healing. And so that's, that's the specialty that I've, I've sort of Um, become very passionate about is trauma in the brain and attachment and how we can change the trajectory for, for kids who've had difficult early life experiences. Which is
1: amazing. And I also really appreciate that you have passed this on, that you also educate and train others as well with what you have found. So that's incredible work that you are doing very necessary. Well, so with that little bit of a background, I think that maybe a good first step for our discussion today. I mean, there are so many different ways that this can go, but I think that a good first step to see kind of where we go from there is actually going to quote something that you said in our conversations leading up to this interview. You say that story is a powerful tool for connecting and healing. And I love this. It's something that resonates deep inside of me, but I don't exactly know how to explain it. Mm -hmm. So help me out.
2: I love what you just said, that it resonates with you, but you don't necessarily have the words for it because that is the power of story. So what I what I have learned about the brain sort of informs how I understand that. We have a network in our brain that sort of runs from front to back in the in kind of the top of our brain that is called the default mode network. And it's where we go in our brain when when things are sort of quiet, where we go when it's calm. And it's where it's that network that that sort of feeds off itself to make sense of our world. It's where we go when we meditate, in fact. And it's where we tell ourselves the story of ourselves. For kids who have experienced early life trauma, that network is a scary place to be because life has been a scary place to be. And so we stop spending time there and stop developing it. But story is actually a, a really powerful way to open up that space again to be to make it safe to go inside and reflect and reevaluate and and maybe think differently about my own life story or my interactions with others or what's true of me or you know family or relationships right all of that is happening in this network in your brain, and story is an incredibly powerful way to to reach that network. Which is why we we cry during movies, or we feel the loss of a character. You know, when Dumbledore. Oh, I don't want to spoiler alert. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Anyone anyway, hasn't read Harry Potter. <laughs> fast forward 10 seconds when Dumbledore dies, you know, and I'm weeping, even though I know that that is that's hitting my default mode network and letting me feel and deal with this difficult situation, even though it's not me. It's it's powerful.
1: Yeah, what makes this really interesting to me is that people store things. I mean, it's obvious that we have memories and whatnot. But you know, people store things in their brains. And it seems like stories can resonate with the emotional side of things. As you were just describing, and we don't often access the emotional history that we have as an adult. We'll think about the the tangible things that we remember, you know, going to grandma's house or whatever. And other sensory things might evoke emotions or something, yes. you know, a smell of a cookie or something like that. But I don't know that. I personally, at least, have ever sat down and thought about it from a story perspective. If I'm watching or listening or reading or something to a story... That does make me cry or that does move me emotionally. I don't know that I sit there and I actually connect it back with something that happens with a memory or something that has happened in my past events. So yes, this is a really interesting concept to me that I think we all kind of innately know, but we don't actually necessarily know it if that makes sense. <laughs> yes.
2: yes. And and actually a lot of the unknown known, you know, part of my work is making that the scary, the scary parts that we sort of tuck away about ourselves or about our experiences, bringing those to the surface and, and helping kids and parents and adults who've had these experiences sit with it. And, and sometimes the sitting with it is is really hard because there's parts that are yucky and painful and scary, but the only way is through, you know, similar to, to grief, right? The only way is through just pretending it doesn't exist. The pain doesn't exist. The loss doesn't exist. That doesn't actually take it away. It pops out in some other way. You know, you find yourself um, finding some other sort of coping mechanism or way to way to deal that you know maybe works for a while but maybe there are parts of it that aren't so great you know sort of the extreme of that is is maybe turning to drugs or alcohol to to self soothe to manage these big feelings that just won't go away because we have to go through we have to we have to see the thing and it doesn't mean we have to describe every terrible thing that ever happened to us verbally it it means that we need to make sense of ourselves and our story in the in the full context. We can't just sugarcoat. That's not that's not actually going to be very helpful.
1: Right. I feel like from what you're saying also that there is a benefit so that we can develop coping mechanisms, healthy coping mechanisms, and you know, healthy ways to get through our feelings and emotions. It's better to do this sort of on the earlier side, as
2: as early as we
1: can get it. Is that right?
2: Yes. So that is actually why uh, why some of my work is geared toward a younger audience. So the two picture books that are out right now are Riley the Brave of mine and Riley the Brave and What's Inside Your Backpack and both are purposely picture books because I want kids to be able to engage with all parts of the story. So for some, some are visual learners and and will, you know, see the pictures and be able to put themselves in that way. Sometimes we hear it, hear the words and let those wash over us. Sometimes we can grab onto color and color is a helpful, you know, part of how we take in information and make sense of it. So I want I want things that are bright and engaging and pull the reader in so that, so that there can be reading and rereading of maybe this new way of thinking about your life or a new way of thinking about some of your resilience, some of your you know, strategies that, that help you or help the adults around you help you um, get through tough stuff. That's my goal is to start young and often dealing with mm. the tough stuff in life.
1: And who wouldn't want that, honestly, for a child that you, that you love, that you care about to move through that. And we both, Jill and I have really, uh, we like your books a lot. And I feel like the characters are very relatable, that they are someone that, that can help children to really kind of slow down and think about things. I love that Riley the Brave. It, it, it's almost like the two books are kind of for slightly different ages. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but yeah, it seems like Riley the Brave is kind of yep. for the younger and yep. what's inside your backpack is for a little bit older. Is that, is that intention? Is that right?
2: <laughs> so, yes, I will say. Um, so if we take Riley the Brave first, I would say the the pictures are intended to sort of instantly appeal to a younger audience that, that your um, preschool through you know, first, second graders will, that it will um, be fairly immediately appealing to them. Um, And even littler than that, like the, you know, the colors and the animals and those kinds of things. I will say one of the things that's been really, um, I don't know if surprising, but certainly rewarding, or it feels, feels really good is I've had a number of therapists and adults Reach out to me and say your book is changing how I work, or I'm I'm bringing Riley the Brave back and forth with me to therapy to work on my issues from when I was a kid. I've I've met with teen groups who are sort of using the concepts because suddenly people are seeing themselves in this in this book. I actually did a college course, um, like a guest lecture, and one of the One of the students there, we were going along and he was one that I couldn't tell if I had the hook. Like I couldn't tell if I had his attention really. And then we read the book as part of what we were talking about with the brain and trauma. And he lit up. He's like, did you write that? That's my, that's me. That's my story. Like that's. And so the number of times that that's happened from older kids and adults has been, has made me feel like, okay, this, this is it. This is, you know, I'm onto something. This is the story that I've seen play out and I, but I couldn't find in, in written form. And so that's been really rewarding. So Riley came out first and, and then this year, particularly with all that was going on is still going on with COVID. I'm like many, very aware that not everyone has been able to hunker in place in safety. And so mm. my um, the publisher for What's Inside Your Backpack, National Center for Youth Issues, we had been in touch about working together on something. And this book concept came out of it about the things that we carry around and using this metaphor of a backpack and that there are sort of these magic books inside that we need help sometimes being able to set aside, like worry or shame or sadness, or even an unsafe parent. And so that's a big, heavy topic, but it's presented in a really approachable way because like, every word in that book is really intentional because of what I've seen of how kids with trauma histories are able to engage in reading and in talking about their stories and, and those kinds of things. And it is geared a little bit older. So like third to fifth, third to sixth is a really easy you know, in for those ages, I
1: guess. Yeah, I, I can tell that everything in both of the books are or both of the series. There are two Riley the Braves, right?
2: Yes. The next one comes out June June twenty June something. Um, okay. it's a little fluid, <laughs> but yeah. June twenty twenty-one will be Riley the Brave Makes It to School.
1: Oh, wonderful. Very exciting. In both of them, I can tell how deliberate and how intentional everything is. It really comes across, I mean, from the illustrations to the wording and how many words are on each page. And even if you're a parent of children who have not had these difficult experiences, I feel like these books in particular can help us teach ourselves as parents and adults, community members, you know, teachers, and also our children how to recognize and help others who are having these big feelings. Because as you're saying, adults are taking these books and they're, you know, using them to explain their feelings and whatnot. It is a very visual way to help learn the Language, the vocabulary yourself to be able to sort through. So, if there's a child in your child's life, even who is mm-hmm. having difficulties, you know, they can suddenly turn into a friend and advocate who yeah. can help instead of not being so helpful or just being completely clueless, which I feel like is what I would do. <laughs> I would have no idea. I love that in Riley the Brave, there's an experience where Riley knocks down a lamp. He breaks a lamp and he uses his words and you know, he says why he knocked that down. And without understanding what is going on, the feelings and the emotions that are causing this reaction, it would be really easy to get really upset and be mad that he broke a lamp and say, oh, right. you're a problem child or something right. completely inaccurate. I think that no matter what your background is... <laughs> or or what your children's background is, I I feel like these books can be really helpful from that perspective, as well as obviously for those who have had difficult experiences and who are trying to heal or help others heal as well.
2: That's my hope. And that's that's sort of what I've seen play out, Amanda, is that there are kids who desperately need these stories right and need adults who get it and kids who get it and there are kids who are still sort of walking through maybe some insecurity and unsafety and and so are finding their way finding what courage looks like to them but then that they're empathy builders for kids who maybe haven't had a lot of big stressors yet so that they can be a friend. And, you know, when we're thinking about the things we carry in our backpack, well, all of us carry something. You know, one of my boys is carrying around dyslexia. And he had a teacher that noticed it and helped him figure out how to carry that heavy book. And his life is forever changed because of that. It's actually the teacher that I modeled Mrs. James on in What's Inside Your Backpack. She changed my son's life. My hope is that we can all, if we all sort of tune into these things that are going on all around us maybe even inside us maybe even in our in our home maybe you do have a kid who struggles with worry or shame even though there hasn't been some big traumatic event that that absolutely happens and if we can if we can take the shame out of dealing with that and and see it for the courageous story of sort of overcoming that it is, man, that's powerful. It's
1: really powerful. Very powerful. I agree, especially in a time that stigmas are starting to break down regarding mental illness and mental health. And hopefully this is another way that we can reach the younger uh, generations as well to even further perpetuate this progress that, you know, we've, we've got going kind of run with this momentum.
2: And my hope too is on the adult side. So, you know, in Riley, you talked about the broken lamp and how it's really easy to be like, ah, this problem child, of course, You know, when we're faced with, you know, what I call tiger moments or porcupine moments all day long as parents or teachers or counselors, it's easy to go into our defensive brain and react. And so one of the lovely things about reading together, sort of slowing down and and having stories that we can come back to over and over is that it, cha- it can change adult perceptions as well. We all have ways that we understand behavior. And and so if if I can internalize as a parent that a kid is having a tiger moment instead of that they're a problem child, that's gonna be a really powerful shift for me as a parent. And therefore for that kid, right? That there's all these sort of cascading effects.
1: Definitely. I love that. I, I think I saw, I don't know what it was, uh, like an infographic or something, uh, some sort of a quote. There was a a quote, what is the right punishment? And it's crossed out. And instead of saying, you know, what is the right punishment? Instead, we need to say, help me out with this. If, If you know this, this is
2: lagging skills and unmet needs. So to prevent this behavior, what skills are needed to prevent this behavior?
1: That's what it is. So instead of saying, what's the right punishment? Instead, we say, what skills are needed? to prevent this behavior.
2: Yeah. One of my goals on social media is to be an encouragement, to offer some some things that I have found helpful um, over time. And so one of those veins that I sort of go down is reframing the narrative that so often I see miscommunications really happen between parents and kids or between between well-meaning adults in kids' lives. And if we can shift our framework, if we can sort of shift our perspective to this brain-based, strengths-based perspective, it's really powerful. So I'm not saying that to be like PC police, like you have to watch everywhere that you say or anything like that, but just just helping us shift some of the ways that we view ourselves and our kids. And that's one of my goals in how I write is, is looking, looking a little more closely at the stories we're telling ourselves about ourselves, I'm a I'm a good mom, or I'm doing my best, or you know we're gonna get through this together. And the stories we're telling ourselves about our kids, you know, it's not it's not my ADHD kid, it's my child who has ADHD, right? He has I heard this and I loved it. He has an explorer brain, um, so where my brain is maybe a little bit more organized and more his brain wants to explore and learn what's new and and be adventurous, and that's great. So we can have a common ground there to figure out, OK, how are you going to how are we going to feed your explorer brain and also get get your homework done or get the laundry done or whatever the, the sort of daily life tasks are? We can do that. We're on the same team. We're doing it together with your awesome explorer brain and my you know, mom brain. We can do this together.
1: Oh, I love that. And I love that there's such a strong connection with stories that can help us to kind of to do this, that we can use books as tools to help children no matter what they are going through um, with their feelings and emotions. and that it can also help us, as you were were describing, to help our perspective and to help us to find examples of good and bad and to have lots of different perspectives that come in. Which leads me to another kind of question. Is there a type of book or genre that works best for particular types of traumatic experiences or as the parent of someone, either for empathy building or you know like should you be reading stories with a child that is very similar to the experiences that they have had or should you steer clear of those experiences sure. that sort of thing fiction nonfiction what do you what do you think?
2: That's a great question so as with most reading you want to find things that the child is interested in um, that's that's going to be your best way to get reading <laughs> off the ground when it comes to, when it comes to using books to to sort of bring bring things up in a helpful way so like so here's the funny thing about me being a therapist who writes books is i actually don't like a lot of therapy books that are out there partly because my experience has been with kids with pretty significant trauma histories that with lots of them, they don't engage. Now that said, I think there are a lot coming out now that that are much better. So Riley the Brave purposely has very few words on the page and doesn't explicitly describe his backstory with a good, which a good chunk of the book industry does not like. Like they want to know exactly what happened to Riley, but I'm not telling. <laughs> Partly because I have seen how kids and adults for that matter, can put themselves in stories if we if we give them the space to, and so that's what I've tried to do with Riley is it's pretty open ended. He had some some tough stuff that happened in life. We see this bear that's now living with elephants. We don't say the elephants adopted him. We don't say he's in foster care. We don't say they're his grandparents. We don't say even if they're male or female elephants that every kid gets to make make those leaps on their own. And as far as using stories, again, it's it's really tuning into the child's experience. And so it might be that, you know, you pull out a book about that's, that sort of touches on a topic that the child has experienced that's kind of hard, and they're ready to read the whole thing and talk about it, or ready to read the whole thing and not talk about it, but maybe they play it out later. Um, or when you're out, playing basketball, you know, something comes up about it. I think as adults, we think there's going to be, you know, a magical conversation or it all has to be words and kids express themselves through play and through all kinds of other things. Sometimes it's words, but the dealing, right, the feeling and dealing part of it comes out in a lot of different ways. So I want to look at what the kid's interested in, I want to use stories potentially to bring up conversations, but also hold that loosely and recognize that if it doesn't bring up a conversation today, that's okay. There are some kids who open Riley the Brave and they can't make it three pages in because it's just, even though it's bright and cheery and whatever, it's a little too close to home. And that's okay. Talk about the honey on the page or the the painting or whatever and, and stay there and come back to it another time. There are others who go through and they're like this is me. And they're able to say that out loud. And that opens up the door to then start using some of the language in it with that child. So it really, it's really about tuning into the child's experience, if that makes sense. Definitely. So would you
1: recommend using books that are specifically geared toward use as therapy, like Riley the Brave or What's in Your Backpack? So when would you say, oh, you know, I think we should pull out one of these books? And when would you say, you know, I think that it's more about the bonding connection. Let's just, Uh, you know, read some Mo Willems together.
2: Sure. That's actually a great question, Amanda. So I think, I think parents can feel in a tough position with that sometimes. So we had a, a death in the family recently. And I, you know, we had... My kids are the children of a therapist. So there's lots of talking about feelings in my house, for better or worse. And so, you know, we had talked about all kinds of things in those early days. They had also gotten a lot of physical activity to get out their feelings because that's what they needed. And, and I kind of went back and forth on... So I had checked a couple books out from the library that I know that I have used with grief kinds of things before. And as I was looking through them, I was like, I don't feel like this is really what they need right now. I did decide to read The Invisible String that kind of touches on death, but it's not the main focus of it. And that I think was a a good choice. I had some others around that I think some, you know, my boys, my older boys maybe looked at a little bit, but it wasn't really what they needed at the time. There are other times when maybe we're talking a lot about, you know, a certain issue. And so I will have in the stack of books that we're kind of going through on on the dresser next to the bed, there might be, A Mo Willems, and then there's one about, I don't know, whatever the thing is that we're dealing with, paying attention more or something in a non shaming way. So, for example, I'm, you know, trying to be really intentional about teaching my children to be allies to be anti-racist, to really unpack some of the white supremacy messages that we've received as white people growing up in the United States. And so in the mix of books, like we read a book about aliens, and we also have one about white privilege, and then we might have another book about reptiles. And so that's my method, partly because I'm so aware of kids' humans' (laughs) window of tolerance. So we have these, these little windows where, where we can learn, where information gets through and, and where we're receptive and ready and, and can soak things up. And sometimes that's, you know, at bedtime during reading, but that's where we have to be really tuned into to the child because sometimes it's, it's during play or it's while we're out for a walk or, you know, these other times. And so being flexible is just sort of, unfortunately, the name of the game as a parent. Well, so
1: you mentioned the name of a book, The Invisible String. We're always excited about book recommendations, but do you have other recommendations or resources for reading recommendations that are either specifically tied to sort of the feelings or emotions that are often discussed in therapy, or also kind of on another side of things, do you know of any place that has sort of a list of trigger warnings for different situations to watch out for so you don't hand your teenager a book that all of a sudden, you know, they're going to have worse experiences after reading this
2: book, sort of a thing. So I know that there's something, I got it when my son's reading list came out that went into things a little bit in a little bit more depth. So I will send it to you so you can put it in the notes of the podcast. As far as specific books, I would say... That, that can be helpful. I'm looking around
1: my office to see some of the ones that. Well, it's it's not your fault. We just spring this question on you. So
2: <laughs>
1: this is this is our bed.
2: So I I find myself using. There's a book by an Australian author called Hey Warrior, and she has a second one one called Hey Awesome, and her name is Karen Young, and while. All of the words aren't necessarily helpful for a lot of my kids with trauma histories because they sort of, that cognitive part shuts down. The illustrations and the concept of having, she sort of brings the amygdala to life. that are sort of our our alarm system in the brain, our protector. She brings it to life in a really creative way that I find very helpful and I continue to come back to. Um, So that's a good one for like anxiety kinds of things. The invisible string has been around a very long time. And there's an updated version that was actually illustrated by the same illustrator as What's Inside Your Backpack, Joanne Lou Wrighthoff. I have found that one to be pretty versatile. It does have some some different components that you know maybe don't relate to all families. It, it's a white family that's represented in the book, and there's a reference to heaven, which isn't everybody's belief system. But I think so much of the the story does transcend and can be. A really helpful model. The kissing hand, and I'm not going to be able to remember the author off the top of my head, but the kissing hand is another go to as far as really building those connections between parent and child um, or caregiver and child, whoever that might be. Those are some that come to mind.
1: Those all sound very good, and I'm excited that I haven't heard of them before. I feel like there's a whole new world waiting for me.
2: <laughs> there are so many children's books. It's it's both lovely and overwhelming sometimes. Like there are so many children's books, it can be it can be overwhelming, but it's it's also really lovely. Oh, one that is not necessarily a therapy book, but I find delightful and super helpful is Grumpy Monkey. I don't necessarily love the whole series. It. I can see why they made it a series cuz the cast of characters is fantastic. The first one, Grumpy Monkey is the title of the book. It really highlights how sometimes you can have all the right answers, but really what you need is that connection. You just need somebody to sit with you and it be okay that you're feeling grumpy. And for so, I mean for for so many humans in general, but especially with trauma history, that's a big Piece of it is sitting with the yucky feeling with someone. And uh, so I, I, I love
1: that book as well. Ooh, I like that a lot. That sort of, I don't, I don't know if it's a buzzword turned not word, but a, a buzz, a popular theory. I don't even know what I'm saying, but it's really common right now <laughs> that people are trying to teach emotional intelligence to their children by just having the parents settle down and you know, don't talk about stuff. Don't try and work through it. Just sit and sit with them. And that's yeah. what develops emotional intelligence. So I could definitely see how that would apply in a therapeutic application as well.
2: Yeah. That we can't fix everything. There, There's just, sometimes we just have to sit in it. Yeah. And sometimes that's the way to fix it too, that you yeah. just recognize it. And that's right. And I'm a yeah. fan of books that don't tie up in a neat little bow necessarily, at the end. Um, in fact, in the second Riley the Brave book, I I kind of wanted to add a, just another little layer of, but he might not come to school tomorrow. Like in his in his mind, the publisher wasn't going for it, but that's okay. It still, <laughs> it, it still shows that like life is messy, you know, in the backpack in what's inside your backpack, we don't get to get rid of all our books. That's not how life works. And that stinks and it's hard. And it, the more that we can figure out okay, that's true. Now, now what, you know, how do we, how do we build our strength? How do we set aside what we can set aside? How do we talk about and, and handle the stuff that we can't? That's all, that's the work I love.
1: Well, and Jessica, did we miss anything or is there anything that we didn't cover? Would you like
2: to go back and touch on anything? I mean, any of these topics could go on for a long time. So I think you did a fantastic job. And I can't think of anything that that needs a a second pass right now.
1: Right. Well, at the back of the Riley the Brave Mm, um, are a few pages. And I just saw this. I I didn't ask this. I loved these pages. So part of this is just because I really love brain stuff. I think that what reading does to the brain is just amazing. And I love seeing that cognitive layout. But can you tell us a little bit about those pages at the back of Riley the Brave?
2: Yes, I would be happy to. So What I have seen again and again is that parents who are are looking for help with kids who have lots of tiger moments, who are breaking lamps left and right, unfortunately, they're tired and worn out. And so reading a whole book or taking a whole course might feel overwhelming, but having some little nuggets of the brain science that I've seen be so transformational for families can be really helpful. And so that's what I try to pack in those like five pages at the back of Riley the Brave is, you know, how do you, like, what do you need to know about parenting a kid like Riley in, in five pages or less? And so that's, that's sort of what's in there about learning a little bit about the upstairs and downstairs brain and learning a little bit about embracing the porcupine and and sort of sitting with your grumpy monkey, basically. Then I've created a whole host of resources to go with that. I My passion is getting brain science out into the world in a user-friendly way. And so, for parents, there's a whole parents corner at rileythebrave.org, R-I-L-E-Y the brave.org, with with more information to dig into and more ways to apply some of the little principles that are introduced in the book and in the afterward. And in the second Riley the Brave book, it will be similar, you know, lots of information for grownups who are trying to be safe big critters. And continuing that also in the Magic Backpack series where there's a tip page for for caring adults to apply these metaphors more and help kids carry the things that they have to carry and and learn strategies to set them aside. So that is really my passion is I can't see I can't see all the families I want to see for individual therapy, for family therapy. And so books have been a way for me to Scale that the messages that I feel like I have to share with the world,
1: right? And we are really appreciative of the books because you can reach so many more people. And all of the people that you have reached, I'm amazed by the work that you do.
2: Thank yeah. you, that means a lot. Yeah,
1: this has been a good start to tapping into resources. And you just mentioned some of the things, um, some of the different places that we can learn more about you, Jessica and mm-hmm. your work. Is there anywhere else? That we should look, Riley the Brave and what's in your backpack, where can we get those books?
2: Sure. So if you go to so they're they're available wherever books are sold. For if there are any teachers or counselors, you know, listening as well, if you go to Brave. Brains.com. There's a whole bunch there for professionals who are trying to implement some of these kinds of things. Like anybody who works with kids, basically, will find something at bravebrains.com. And there are also links to purchase the books. I'm most active on Instagram. A realistic optimist, trying to put the brain science in action in helpful ways. And that it's currently at Riley the Brave, but it will probably be changing to my name in the near future. So you can look for Riley the Brave or look for Jessica Sinarski. All right, awesome. And we'll put the link for all of
1: this down in the show notes. Jessica, I'm going to be really honest with you and with you listening to this episode as well. We've been talking about a pretty deep and raw subject today with, I mean, children who who experienced traumatic events and uh, mental health, mental illness in general is just a deep topic. And I really wanted to talk about this from the very beginning of Jill and I brainstorming topic ideas when we started the podcast, but neither of us, I think, have been up to the task really <laughs> finding someone qualified to speak about it, nor did we have even the first idea where to start looking for information about how reading can affect a person with trauma in their past experiences and especially children. So I'm sure we aren't the only ones who struggle with difficult subjects either. We just, we really want to thank you for reaching out to us, for being so generous with your time. We've learned so much already and I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Amanda and Jill for having me. It is, it really, truly is my pleasure. This is my passion, making the hard stuff just a little bit easier because we've all got it. We've all got the hard
1: stuff. So We do. And if we didn't before, we've got a pandemic to prove it even more now.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: okay. Well, thanks so much, Jessica.
0: It's my pleasure. One of the reasons Amanda and I started this podcast right from the beginning was because we knew that books and reading can be a powerful force for good in pretty much anyone's life, but we needed and we wanted to hear about it from people with actual like experience and expertise that we don't have. So that's one of the reasons that we're both really excited to do this interview. We both assumed books can play an important and positive role working with kids who have experienced trauma. Neither of us really have had any experience in this area. To back up our assumption, and we know what they say about assuming things, so we needed outside help, and we found that in Jessica. Yeah, trauma is definitely not part
1: of our fields of expertise, (laughs) and but you know there there's music therapy and there are different things. So we we did have this hunch that there would be something advantageous to breeding in a therapeutic sense, but we don't suggest that you take books from this episode and use them as a replacement for therapy though, if you or your loved one needs help healing. But we can definitely use these books (laughs) and reading in general. Think back to the episodes we did with Drs. Dollahyte and Marks as powerful resources to create and strengthen bonds with those who are healing And help us develop empathy for those who are in therapy. We talk about that in this interview, Mm -hmm. or those who are experiencing big feelings. And like Jessica said, we all have heavy books in our bags, and that's how we can pretty much expect life to be forever, unfortunately. So
0: I actually wasn't really sure what to expect when I read Jessica's books. Um, I've looked for books for other, like, specific lessons or reasons in mind. And sometimes the ones that are written for those specific things are a little too on the nose for me to really appreciate them as stories. I am all about stories and storytelling and the imagination and the quality of that storytelling. And sometimes the quality of storytelling is sacrificed for the getting the point across. But it turned out that uh, even as an adult, I think I had things I needed to learn from her books because as picture books, both Riley the Brave and What's in Your Backpack are obviously geared towards kids but I ended up feeling very validated and seen after reading these books and I'm a grown adult who I've not really had to unpack any childhood trauma beyond normal things and so feeling so good reading these books it just it made me think that maybe they could be useful in an adult setting or other ways. Like, And it also made me realize how much we all just need that validation of <laughs> you are seen, your feelings are valid. It's been interesting for me to see a little bit of a generational gap in my own family When it comes to mental health and and seeking outside help, I think it's become a really big topic for people right now, being aware of mental health issues, being open about them much more than they have in past generations. And so people in my family who are in older generations aren't as comfortable with that and aren't as familiar with it. So I wondered when I was reading them if maybe these books and books like them could help people and families who are looking to get mentally or emotionally healthy, but they're getting pushback from loved ones. And I know it's an issue that has come up in in people my age and and friends that I have. I I don't even know exactly how that would work or what role these picture books could play, but I feel like the kernel of an idea is there.
1: Oh, I think you're so right. I think that kernel is definitely... Definitely there. And I do think that we are making progress, like you said. Um, I loved the part of the conversation talking about how and when to use books like Riley the Brave or What's in Your Backpack, or really any that talk about a deep or intense topic. I think one of the most powerful things we as parents and teachers can do is help normalize these topics, especially with this generational, you know, gap that that's starting to become, I think, bigger. And I love the idea of having these books in your arsenal, I guess, (laughs) or in your library checkout rotation, or just to have among the other books. If your child reads them, great. If they don't want to, great. If they ask questions, great. (laughs) There's definitely something to be said, though, about having fun books and serious books together, And the message that that sends to the children in our care, it reminds me a bit about our conversation with Dr. William Styxrude, that you can't force someone to learn something. (laughs) And it's often counterproductive to try to force a topic on a child. But Jessica talks about how we have a window of tolerance. It's great to have these books mixed in with others to allow all of us to talk about these things whenever we can handle it, when we're ready to to broach these really intense topics.
0: Amanda said before, and I agree, we know that not even our beloved books are a magical cure for trauma that too many kids experience. there's going to be a lot of resources and a lot of different things that are going to help them move forward. But we are very, very happy to have been able to talk to Jessica, to hear her experiences and remind ourselves that books and reading can at least be one of many tools in your tool belt. If this is something that you and the kids that you work with or the kids that you love are dealing with, we are so grateful to Jessica for joining us. And we're so grateful to all of you out there listening.